it's actually risky sometimes to not take a risk, right? It, it's this idea that if you follow a conventional path, almost by definition, you will have a conventional outcome. Warren, thank you so, so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Excited to be here. Thanks, Sean. So Warren, you and I first met eight years ago in 2012 at Mucker Lab. And at the time, you were working on a project called Thank A Day, which helped you know many people focus on daily gratitude. And I was just really enamored by you and your vibe and what you were trying to bring to the overall ecosystem. Fast forward eight years, you've now co-founded and been a part of two startups that have been acquired, Social Engine and Vidme. And now you're building your next business, Knowable, with investors like Andreessen Horwitz, Upfront Ventures, and some of the other key uh, VCs and investors. So before diving too early into your life and your journey, uh, can you just talk a little bit about Knowable, what the problem that you saw in the market and why you're so passionate about helping people? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked the question, what problem are we trying to solve? And I think a lot of startups miss, miss that focus. The problem for us is people are busy, they want to learn, but they don't have time. So I've become a dad in, in the eight years since we met, and my free time has, has winnowed. And I am really trying to solve a problem that I acutely feel myself, which is there's a lot of video companies that are focused on e-learning, but uh, it's really hard to make the time for a video course. And so audio is something that I personally have seen fit into my life and I think can fit into more people's life. And now Noble, for those that have never checked it out, is an audio first education platform. Maybe talk a little bit more about what is audio first and why do you think there's a problem with the way that things are today? E-learning is a $300 billion market and pretty much every player that's focused on providing e-learning courses is a video provider. So you think of Coursera, Masterclass, Skillshare, Udemy, even YouTube. They're all focused on this idea that you have to stare at a screen in order to learn. And the problem is, is that video isn't portable the way that audio is. Mm. So our idea is make structured courses that can help somebody go from A to Z on a variety of topics that they can listen to anytime, anywhere on the commute, doing dishes, going for a walk, right? It's learning that fits into your life. Now, we'll talk a lot more about Noble uh, later in the show. Can you help bring us up to speed on where were you born? Where are you from? I, I remember that your parents did come from, I believe it was Europe. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about where you're from and what early life was like for you. Yeah, first generation American, proud immigrant, uh, proud child of immigrants rather. Uh, my parents came a couple of years before I was born from Eastern Europe, from Romania and Hungary. And they ended up in Newport Beach, California, which is uh, a pretty homogenous community. Not a lot of uh, Eastern European immigrants land there as their, as their Ellis Island, but uh, my parents did. And I, as a young kid, got exposed to, to entrepreneurship. I um, had the very cliche experience of having a lemonade stand and then realized that I could actually franchise that and hire other people who are even younger than me to run the lemonade stands who are cuter than me uh, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of uh, attracting, you know, lemonade dollars. And uh, that, that was my first taste of running and I guess scaling a business. How would your parents or, or even better your teachers uh, and classmates describe you? Were you always into business or sports or what was your personality like back, you know, in elementary school? Yeah, I, uh, for those of you who are just listening, I'm not a very particularly uh, strongly built person. Uh, so I'm not, <laughs> not a sports guy. I was a, was a good student. I always liked learning. And I think that's part of why I feel such strong founder product fit with knowable uh 
uh, I think my teachers would describe me as, as really curious and really eager to, to learn new things. And did you, uh, you mentioned that your parents are at least supported your entrepreneurship. Did you learn about business from them or did you have mentors at an early age? I did. I got paired with a mentor in high school and he early on when I was thinking about what I wanted to do after college, gave me a book, uh, called risk takers. And it was profiles of several entrepreneurs, including the founder of Spanx. And I thought, wow, it's actually risky sometimes to not take a risk, right? It's this idea that if you follow a conventional path, almost by definition, you will have a conventional outcome. Hmm. And, and I think that really inspired me to want to be an entrepreneur even more, but a a lot of exposure just growing up as a kid to friends of parents or parents, friends who uh, were entrepreneurs. That's interesting because I, I feel as though, you know, it's almost like uh, school and universities really uh, build fear into taking those risks or being an entrepreneur, whereas something like Noble, where it's trying to teach these very particular skills that people can take away with, is almost like filling people with confidence that they can actually do these things. It's it's cool to see how it's kind of come full circle from you. Yeah, it does feel like there's a nice story coming together, the <laughs> screenwriter arc here. Now... When it comes to mentors, I think you and I both can agree that, you know, whether it be at Mucker and having, you know, advisors and mentors in your business or just even when you were young having this mentor, uh, why do you believe getting a mentor is such an important aspect of building, you know, your entrepreneurial career? Mentors, in my mind, are somebody who, who looks out for you without a vested interest. And I think it's such a powerful experience to have somebody basically take you under their wing and show you the ropes and the shortcuts and and warn you of pitfalls too. Uh, Mucker, which where where we met as a as a mentor focused accelerator, TechStars is too. I think there are ways to learn faster from others who have gone before you, and that's what mentorship can do. Entrepreneurship, by definition, you're trying to do something new, but there's still guideposts and and blueprints which you can follow to increase your chances of being successful. Do you have advice or maybe things that have worked for you in the past when it comes to building your mentor network or, um, you know, when you have like a younger sibling or a younger nephew or something come in and say like, Hey, I want to be just like you, Warren, how do you help mentor them or, or point them in the direction of, of building their own network? No one has ever said that to me, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but maybe someday Someday. that's what I'm building up to, I guess. Uh, I think building up a, a mentor network is something that happens somewhat organically, but you have to be, uh, there are ways to, to increase the likelihood of finding a mentor that you're going to jive with. Right. So accelerators are really a good, a good pathway. Uh, but you can also proactively reach out to people that you respect. And oftentimes one of the greatest things that you can do once you do achieve a level of mastery is share that knowledge with others. And, and I think people forget that when they're, when they're young. Hmm. Now, as you, moved through your early lemonade stand uh was harvard always like on the horizon something that you always wanted to go to or is that something that came also or you know organically as you went through school uh, i i don't know when i knew i wanted to go there um but i think probably pretty early on i i you know had that education aspiration and thought oh this seems like a i wanted to always be around smart people i think that's been a good guiding rubric of who do I want to be around and and there's that quote that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and so I thought it always made sense to try to uh, be around smart people who are doing interesting things and Harvard seemed to have that that kind of person now now that you're 
you know, years and years out of school, do you still feel the same way? I do. Yeah. I think it's even more important as you get older and you realize your, your time is running out. It's, it's really about who do you want to spend time with? Mm. Why do you, you know, I, I think you just use the, the phrase, you know, you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with knowing that you've been involved in such small startups, you know, growing with very small teams, getting bigger and bigger, uh, you know, what's the underlying kind of, uh, benefit of it why is it so important to be around people that are going to elevate you that are going to you know add learning those sorts of things i think it's different for different people but for me there's just a innate satisfaction that comes from being around people that you like and at a startup you you can choose it you feel like you're all moving towards the same mission and i think large organizations unfortunately have a lot of tension with internally right and not everybody is motivated by the north star of where the company is headed but more about you get internal politics and it's more about the perception of progress rather than progress itself you when you went to harvard you didn't go to harvard for entrepreneurship um at what point did you start to say you know maybe i want to go back into business yeah, I, I did work in finance for a few years after college and uh, paid off student loans and got a good foundation in, in finance, which is crucial to every business ultimately. Uh, but at that point, had the itch to go try to start something. And I was thinking about business school, and that's actually the time when I got that book, Risk Takers, and, and really realized that if I went to business school, it would probably mean that I would not take a risk of becoming an entrepreneur because I would have to take on more debt to pay the student loans and it would be harder to, to start something. So I decided that I would take some time, move back to LA to be closer to family. And that's when I fell in with Mucker and have uh, followed that path since. That's what I, I wanted to ask. Like, what was the story behind it? How did you find out about Mucker? Yeah, I just being in LA uh, had heard about basically it was one of the only shops in town for startups. Yeah. And I think Eric and Will, the founders were really ahead of the curve and identifying LA as a, a place of innovation and entrepreneurship. How do you describe places like Mucker to, you know, other people that maybe have never even heard of an accelerator before? Accelerators, in my opinion, are like grad school for entrepreneurs. It is a focused community where you're going to meet other people who are trying to accomplish something similar to you. And some of my best friends have come out of Mucker through that experience. So I, I think accelerators are really valuable for first-time entrepreneurs, if for nothing else in the cohort that you go through it with. Do Have you found yourself, I, I know you said that you're still close friends with many of the people from the original cohort. Uh, what were some of the takeaways or the learnings that now looking back on that experience that you still carry with you into your new businesses? So many. It's hard to, it's hard to pick one. I, uh, Look, I mean, just the fact that you and I are still in touch, right? We met through Mucker, and I think the, the network is really valuable. I remember Will, one of the Mucker founders, saying startups fail for two reasons. The founders quit they or run they out run of out cash. of money. <laughs> yeah, Matt Monson always said that to us. <laughs> yeah, and it's really been ingrained in my mind and and been a very helpful base principle to, to think about with every decision, right, of uh persistence because that's what a lot of startup entrepreneurship requires is is persistence and learning and failing fast and learning and trying more stuff 
Now, once you got out of the Mucker program, you joined your first, I mean, was Social Engine like the first startup outside of your own business that you you joined as part of a team? Yeah, so I actually met my co-founder, Alex, through Mucker. He came in to speak with, he had gone through Techstars, and we both happened to live on the east side of L.A., I thought he had cool sunglasses and I told him so and we became friends uh, because of that. And we actually both split up with our co-founders around the same time. And uh, Alex brought me on to, I, I spent some time contracting for some other startups and figuring out what I wanted to do next and, and just really felt that uh, working with Alex would be a great opportunity. And he brought me on board to help him run Social Engine and we grew the company and ended up selling it in 2014. That's that's amazing. I I mean, I think what people don't know is that you and Alex have actually been working together since Social Engine. So yeah. Social Engine into Vidme and now into Noble. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that you guys mesh so well? I, I was so curious to ask because even though it might happen more often than I realize, it feels so rare that you have the same founders going from startup to acquisition to acquisition. Why do you think you guys mesh so well as a partner? It's a good question. I, I think you, when you think about a co-founder, you want it to look like a Venn diagram. You want to each have your own strengths, but you want to have overlap on core values. And I think Alex and I have that. And we, we both have had the experience of having a founder breakup. And so I think maybe we're a little bit wiser and more grateful for the things that work. And we've probably just become more mature individuals in terms of managing the relationship. But uh, Sometimes it just works, and, and I think that's what, what it feels like with Alex and I, and uh, I, I think we both feel really lucky to be working together. That's amazing. Now, <clears throat> when, when you uh, work with Alex and, and you think about this concept of a Venn diagram, where is like your specialty, where is Alex's specialty, and how do they kind of mesh together to create Knowable and, and all of these great businesses? My strength is finding a co-founder smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Alex's strength is being very smart. Um, I, I, Alex handles product and design, and I handle the investors and financing and overall strategy. So, talk to us more about Noble. Like, how did this start? How did you know? How did the early, early days of Noble happen? Was it just through you know talking conversations, or was this something that you guys have been planning for a long time? We went through probably a hundred really bad ideas, you know, just a list. And every day we would take walks around downtown LA and think about what problem we wanted to solve. And we really boiled the ocean. I mean, we were all over the place. We had this idea for men's face masks at one point. We were doing research on should we should we create face masks for men? And we realized that we need to go back to our rubric. And the number one thing on our rubric was we wanted to solve a problem that we ourselves felt. And the realization was both Alex and I feel increasingly time poor. And we both have a reverence for teachers and have seen firsthand the impact that a great teacher can have on somebody's life and wanted to scale that. And I, since being a teenager, have enjoyed audio. Uh, I listened to audiobooks before. They were cool, I think, not to overuse the term, but they were called books on tape. And uh, when you told people that you listened to a book at that time, they would look at you like you were illiterate. <laughs> and that, thankfully, that things have changed, but... I have always associated uh, having something great to listen to as, as a, a happier period in life, right? Like you can be in traffic and listen to a great audiobook and feel like you're making the most of it. And so a mundane task can actually be turned into something that feels like a sought after activity. So 
when we looked at the e-learning landscape and realized that everything was video, we really scratched our heads and thought, that's crazy. Why? The number one reason that people say they listen to podcasts is because they want to learn mm. new things. And yet there's no company which has established itself as the audio learning company. We want Noble to be that company. And, and so that's, that's awesome. How, how does it manifest from this idea of wanting to be an education platform using audio first as like the, the real mechanism? What is knowable? And I mean, I, I've already seen ads popping up with some of the, you know, the people that are partnered with you on it. Uh, what exactly is the platform and, and how are people using it? So we launched in October, so about uh, five months in now, and we have a small but growing library of courses that are focused on career, self-improvement, and health initially. Those are the three pillars of our, of our content focus right now. How'd you decide on those three? We wanted courses where we felt like we were giving somebody a positive financial ROI on their first purchase, right? So we actually have a course on start, launch a startup. And we started with that one because we wanted to really have the experience of teaching, of creating curriculum for something that we knew intimately well. And uh, we're fortunate to get Alexis Ohanian, who's the co-founder of Reddit and now a partner at Initialize Capital, to be one of the, the main interviewees and experts for the course. And the host of that course is an ex-editor from Wired, so she talks with Alexis, Michael Praisman from Everlane, Eddie Liu from Goat, a bunch of other founders, investors, startup lawyers, to really give a comprehensive A to Z guide of what it takes to launch a startup. So going much deeper than just a podcast episode, for for instance, uh, how I built this, right? Yeah. Those are kind of superficial stories. They're fun. They're entertaining. But they aren't really the brass tacks of what does it take to, to launch a startup. And going back to that idea that we talked about at the beginning of the episode of what do we wish we would have had 10 years ago? And I think that's what we made with this first course. I'm really proud of it. That's that's amazing. What what is the first course? You're saying the first course is of how to build a startup. The first, we have a yeah. So our semantics is a, a course is something about four to seven hours of lessons. So the start the launch a startup course has about seventeen lessons. They're around twenty minutes each. And once you did you already have venture funding at that point, or how did you take just an idea of solving this problem and going on walks to then? eventually pitching it and getting investment from, you know, Andreessen and, and Upfront. What were the early days like for you? Yeah, so our story is a little complicated. Uh, we we raised money for Vidme, which was a, a video uh, user-generated platform, and scaled it to over 25 million monthly users. It was still growing, but we realized that the competitive landscape was changing, and we felt like our ability to fulfill our mission of becoming the world's most creator-friendly video platform we felt that we weren't going to be able to hit that mission mm -hmm. and uh, we made a really difficult decision to um, to sell to sell the assets off and we still had funding in the bank and we we had gotten some offers to sell the entire team and and company um, and Alex and I really feel motivated to create something that is generational and lasting and impactful and uh, we went back to the drawing board and investors were supportive and uh, we we I think I mentioned we went through all those ideas, a lot of those bad ideas, and we kept going back to our criterion list of it needs to be a problem that we care about and that we feel acutely. And that's how we started Knowable. So we, so we had some remaining funds left and from the sale too to Giphy. And um, we were planning on, on launching uh, without raising any more capital, but uh, Connie Chan, who's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, um, got wind of what we were doing. She had connected with... Uh, with an expert that we had reached out to and she said, Hey, I've, 
seen this work in China really well, and we just had total thesis alignment, and Andreessen is a great fund, and we diligenced, diligenced them, and uh, it was hard to say no to, to funding from them. For those founders that have already taken, let's say, like a pre-seed or an angel round, and you know they're at the point where they want to start meeting or talking to these sorts of companies, is there any advice that you have or anything you learned uh, different from maybe the early days of your first business to where you are now? Any uh, advice that you have or things of that nature? One is to educate yourself on what VCs really care about and understanding venture math, right? So knowing that a lot of venture capitalists have different criteria for what they want to see in an investment. So an angel investor will be okay with a $10 million exit, right? But a, but a large fund, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for billion-dollar-plus companies to make portfolio math work. So being really mindful of what the investor you're talking with cares about most and what their incentives are. Uh, another important thing is to build your network of fellow entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs are often the gatekeepers for venture capitalists. Hmm. And I think a lot of the intros that we got came from founders who respected us. And that is something that I think a lot of first-time founders miss. They try to go straight to the to the front door instead of building relationships with other founders first and building credibility. I think that's great advice because oftentimes I think entrepreneurs are just thinking about what they need in order to make their business succeed. And they don't take a second to think about, well, the investor has their own goals. I need to make sure that you know what I'm pitching them is aligning with what they want. Yeah, I think that's good sales technique totally. in any situation, right? Is trying to understand what your counterparty wants and then figuring out if you can give that to them. I think it's while it uh, makes so much sense in a sales environment, I think that you know, for some people, you almost you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not selling. I'm just, I'm trying to raise money. And so, right. remembering that it is a sale and yeah. that you do have to align, uh, definitely is advice to take. Um, when when you think about uh, building a team, one of the things that I loved uh, hearing about was your perspective on remote working and and how you're doing it. Um, this is something that has been more of a topic of conversation on Demo Day because I take the uh, the stance or at least something I'm trying to learn more about remote working is I've never been on a championship you know soccer team or a championship team where the team wasn't together, where we weren't going to and from the tournament. And so I've been really interested at you know other founders that have been doing it or, or at least what your thoughts are on it and you know whether or not it's working for, for Noble. Yeah, I think there are definitely pros and cons to each. And for some teams, it makes more sense to not be remote. I think coronavirus is making it a little bit more popular to be a remote mm-hmm. team. And this is, Alex, and my first time running a remote company as well. So we're learning a lot about, about what the pros and cons are. Using the soccer team analogy, I think, is, is a good one. But you can also imagine that some of the best players don't all live in the same city, right? And one key advantage of being a remote and distributed team is that you can pull people from any geography and you don't have to be limited to the people who are in your 10 mile radius. That's a good point. Yeah. Because sometimes when you think about the championship team, you, you have the team that you have there, but there's probably extensions to the team that just don't live in your city. Right. Messi lives in Argentina, right? Exactly. And, and now, now that you're, you launched in October. So do you still feel the same way six months, eight months later now that, now that you've had some experience or would you have done things any differently when it comes to how you structure the team? The reason we decided to set the team up remote is because we think it allows us to scale more easily long-term, right? I, 
I don't remember who tweeted it, but effectively when a company goes from one floor to two floors in a building, it becomes a distributed team, right? You have, you have all of this in-group, out-group hierarchy that happens. And so if you start remote, you're forced to build a muscle early of how do we communicate digitally? How do we make it feel like everybody on this team has equal buy-in and best practices around communication, even if everyone isn't in the same physical location. I've never heard of it said that way, but it makes so much sense. Like, you know, once we fill up this first floor, if we end up moving to a second floor here, in the essence, you are a distributed uh, workforce and yeah. uh, you don't really think about it in, in that way. It's really, you know, even though I feel like we're focused on the now, it is thinking really deep into the future because if we were to coefficient labs grow to San Fran or New York, all of a sudden you become that. And now you have to teach yourself that at a later time. Yeah. And the people who are in the satellite offices start to feel less than if they're coming on, if they're tacked on versus if everyone feels distributed mm. and on that level playing field of, Hey, we use zoom, we use Slack here are the, here's the protocol for communicating digitally. Then, then I think it's easier. So how do you like, how do you manage that feeling of togetherness yeah. or of driving in the same direction or the same boat? I, I'm such like a, you know, hands-on person that the thought of not having the whole team here, I, I think it was LeBron James, like a couple nights ago said like, uh, for the coronavirus, they were saying that they might, um, take all of the fans out of the stadium. How would LeBron feel if there was an empty stadium and they were playing? He's like, right. I'm not going to play. Like there's, there's no one I'm, I'm here for the fans. Right. How do you keep that same like vibe and culture going when, you know, you're at home with the family, Alex is over here. Everyone's kind of all split around. Zoom and Slack really help. Right. So Zoom, we still do a standing, uh, all hands call every Monday and we have an agenda doc that everyone has to update before the meeting and we're, we're getting better. There are practices that we can do. And I think there's, there's a lot of room for improvement, but we're really trying to create this sense of, uh, making the most of meetings so that people feel like they're heard and respected and still part of a team, but not to, to the point of it feeling, um, like forced culture either. Mm -hmm. So there's some organic stuff that happens and then we still do meet in person. Most of the teams in LA. So we'll still, we'll still do kind of once every two weeks, everyone in LA gets together. Yeah. I, I think that I have this problem where it's like, it's so polar. You're either on one side or you're on the other side. And I yeah. think you're showing that, you know, there is, it takes time to set everything up like that, but you can keep it very like uh, team oriented and you can still have your check-ins and you can still have your one-on-ones. Uh, so it's definitely something that I will uh, think more about. <laughs> cool. Um, what, what advice do you have for recruiting great talent? Having a really clear mission statement, I think is so powerful. It's such a secret weapon for startups, right? Because you can be very, very focused on what we're trying to accomplish and therefore who is best suited to help accomplish that goal. And I think this is, it often feels like cheesy advice, which is recruit people who care about your culture. But I think that's actually a shorthand for people who care about your mission too. It's wrapped together. So uh, having a clear focus of what you're trying to accomplish will be a good way to filter out who's a good fit and who isn't. Because somebody can be great, a great talent, but not necessarily a great talent for you. right? And somebody who's great for a 10-person startup isn't necessarily great for a 1,000-person company. So it's really about finding the right person, not just the best person in the whole pool. And that means knowing very clearly what you need and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Earlier, you were talking about the three different areas that you focus on for, for Noble. Uh, what do you see as the most exciting p 
part of the future? Like when you think about Noble in a year or two from now, what gets you the most excited or, or just like uh, helps you really see the future of the company? The earlier reviews that we've gotten from students has been so impactful to me and I think the rest of the team too, because we're already getting this feedback. We, one person took the launch a startup course. She's based in Georgia. She's outside of any tech hub. And she said, hey, this gave me the confidence to go to a pitch contest and I won the pitch contest and she used some of the resources in our deck in the course and that you know this idea of having an impact on the world is really really exciting to me and and going back to why we picked these topics it's this idea of actionable audio stuff that where we feel like we can help somebody go from curious to confident is really important because we think we can make a difference in somebody's life do you have any other courses that you want to talk about I remember hearing some of them on the last podcast that you were on which you know ranging from was it negotiation or there is uh, a couple others that I thought were really cool. Yeah, we have one that's coming out soon called Speak with Confidence, and I'm really excited about it. It is hosted by a woman named Celeste Headley. She has one of the top 10 TED Talks of all time, uh, and it's on the subject of communication. And she is a host for NPR. She talks with an Obama speechwriter, a speech coach, a behavioral psychologist, a renowned uh, speaker is about how do you communicate more confidently, whether it's to a large audience, over a video chat, or even in a small group setting? And I think it's Warren Buffett has this quote that basically one of the easiest ways to increase your net worth by 50% is to invest in your communication. He took a communication course when he was starting out his career, and he's done pretty well for himself. So uh, I, I think this course is going to be really valuable and impactful, and I'm really excited about it. Why do you think, you know, I mean, it seems obvious, but why is communication such a skill that people don't talk about often? There's another quote by Stephen Hawking, which is the greatest enemy enemy of knowledge isn't ignorance. It's the assumption of knowledge. We all think we are pretty good communicators because we do it, right? We know how to talk, but really none of us have actually taken or very few of us have taken a course where we're taught where we're taught here's how to communicate well and i think that's the that's the challenge for that's why a lot of people uh, don't take the, the the course i think it's impactful because it's something that you have to do every day mm-hmm. even regardless of whether you're talking to a large group you're still communicating with people in your life right leading is communication you know selling is communication yeah uh, all of it kind of revolves around how you take your ideas and thoughts and then bring them into, you know, words or written or audio or things of that nature. Well, well put. Well, well put. put. <laughs> you might not need this course, Sean. Uh, Warren, are there any books or, I know, of course, Noble is an area where people can get, uh, you know, resources, but are there any books, I, you mentioned one earlier, that have just been very impactful, you find yourself picking up often or giving away as a gift often? There's a book that our mutual friend Matt Munson recommended to me, despite having not read it himself. It's called <laughs> Miracle Morning and a very cheesy title, but a very impactful book for me because it's a lot about the power of habit and especially focused on the morning and starting your day right. And so there are some tips in that book that I've taken and incorporated into my life that I think have really hmm. had a positive impact and really this idea of getting up early, not snoozing. One trick I really like is having a cup of water, uh, that you drink first thing in the morning. That's the first one of the first actions I take in the morning. One, it hydrates you so you feel less tired. Two, you start your day with a sense of momentum, right? You feel like, okay, I'm already doing the thing. And then it gives you some time to catch up and get out of the dream state and start to think about your day. So I haven't picked that book up, but I, I am excited to. I've been trying a new routine myself the past month. 
uh, I've been getting into the office at 4.30 in the morning, oh. uh, getting in at 4.30, working out at 6.30, and then coming back and you know, being in the office after you've already gotten your early morning emails out and you've gone for a workout in the morning and you have set your intentions or your goals for the day has certainly been something that I found, you know, it takes stress away and makes you feel more accomplished and more like organized and uh, definitely taking that morning routine and treating it very seriously has been uh, something that I found to be really helpful for me. Yeah, me too. Are there any other routines or habits that you utilize to help you be your best self? I I keep I use my note app and my phone and every day I kind of I calendar out the night before what I'm going to do and I write out my top three goals personally and my top three goals uh, for work and in the morning when I wake up part of my routine is writing a few things that I'm thankful for too. Another one I heard recently that I really like is first thing when you wake up in the morning when you're opening up your eyes is think about something or someone that you're thankful for Mm. and that even that early starts the intention of changes the tenor of the day i think so that's what i'm working on practicing gratitude yeah and that goes back to that thank you day thank you day which i still think is an amazing idea (laughs) thank you um what what are you most i i know i asked before what you were most excited about in the future of noble what are you most excited about today like right now what's getting you up every single morning excited for the day ahead I'm really excited about this course that's coming out speak with confidence i think it's going to be really impactful and uh it, it's a good showcase of what our team has been able to do in terms of the the audio and education listenability and uh efficacy into in terms of insights per minute i think it's really great uh, Warren, for anyone else that is listening to this podcast, is there anything else you want them to know about yourself or knowable or what you guys are trying to accomplish over the next six to 12 months? We're trying to create the best platform for audio first education. We want to help more people learn so they can get to their goals faster. Uh, we do have a code for anyone who's listening, which is just demo day. You can apply it at checkout on the website for any of our courses for 50% off. Wow. Thank you so much. That is amazing, guys. If you're listening to this, go check out Noble. Use the coupon demo day and you'll get 50% off your first course. Uh, Warren, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about your company? Say, shoot us an email, hello at knowable.fyi or check out the website. And uh, thanks so much for having me, Sean. This was fun. Thank you, Warren. Appreciate it, man. Next on Demo Day. There's a healthy tension that's very important on any team, and that often comes from people from different backgrounds bringing different ideas. Interesting. Interesting.